You're listening to Grumpire with your hosts, LB and Andrew. Hey everybody, it's Grumpire Podcast. LB usually tells me to go ahead and get rid of uh, the advertisement, which is our own hey, advertisement. Hey, it's our own thing. Hey, what? Hey, Andrew. Are you going to do it? Why don't you go ahead and get rid of the advertisement? Okay, I will. Which is, everybody go to tpublic.com slash user slash grumpire. It's tpublic. You can buy some shirts and other merch, like maybe a coffee mug or whatever, with artwork that graces our website that I designed. And so, on to what the heck the show's about today, without actually <laughs> listening to the show. What are we doing? Revenge! Oh, it's a dish best served with ice cream. Uh, oh, man. Revenge is a dish best served with pinto beans and muffins. Are you saying that because revenge is like farting? No, I am. That's uh, astute. That's astute. <laughs> uh, no, that's, I believe, from Freakazoid. I was going to say, I bet it's Freakazoid because you're always quoting Freakazoid. No, I literally am not always yes, quoting Freakazoid. Yes, you are constantly. It just happens every once in a while. But that is Ricardo Montalban's line because he plays a character in that show. And <laughs> he reprises his Star Trek line. Uh, that, that's for Jay. Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, Revenge is a dish best served cold, but changes oh. it to pinto beans and muffins. So, the guest, do tell. We have a genuinely lovely person named Gigi Graham on the show today. I keep wanting to call her Giggles just because Gigi. <laughs> so that would also apply to Gigi Allen because I think that might somewhat be a reference. So you say Giggles Allen. And Giggles then he'd Allen. be like, hee hee hee, with poop all over him. But, I mean, that's not her. Anyway, GG. He's a little stinker. <laughs> not anymore, <laughs> he ain't. I mean, uh, he kind of is. Oh. Yeah, considering. Methane fumes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, go ahead, decomposition. <laughs> I like to think of it as um, Pito and Fleck from Cifflinale. Yeah, that thing. Nobody remembers that except us. Yep. You're always talking about Cifflinale. I'm always referencing Freakazoid. Uh-huh. No, wait, that's you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dang it. So, Gigi is... Gigi uh, Graham, yes. We do know her from Twitter. We know a lot of people mm-hmm. from Twitter. Mm-hmm. And she's um, a grindhouse aficionado. She's a specialist. An exploitation connoisseur. And so, we asked her, and she obliged, and she brought to us two films that follow plot-wise exploitation tropes. Mm-hmm. You want to hear the show, everybody? Yeah! All right, let's get to it. Hello, ladies. Can I sound creepier? <laughs> yes. <Can> I please. <laughs> Hello, ladies. That's not very good, is it? What's, Do it what's more creepier? Hello, ladies. Today, our guest is Gigi Graham. That is kind of creepy. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm done with the creepy thing. I'm just saying. <laughs> Our guest is Gigi. Hi. Hi. Hello. So uh, th- th- I did the creepy voice for uh, a few reasons. Some of which is, you know, the I drink your blood sort of aesthetic that Gigi you have or appreciate. You don't really have that from what I've seen. <laughs> what you appreciate, that sort of thing. But the, the movie right now, you do not like for whatever reason that you, you, you might not like it in varying degrees. You might be cool with some of it or not. I'm not going to say because I don't know. We'll find out. What is the title? Promising Young Woman. Every week I go to a club, I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, can you call me a cab? A nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. Holy, I thought that you were really drunk. Yeah. I'm not. What would you have me do? Ruin a young man's life? You must want something. Every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? Promising young woman. Rated R. Why don't you like Promising Young Woman? Everybody likes it. Everyone in the horror community love it because it was nominated for an Oscar. Why don't you like it? It elevated horror movies. (sighs) It's not a horror movie. You said the E word. Mm -hmm. But why don't you like it? Here's the thing, Promising Young Woman 
Um, it opens very strong. Our initial few scenes are very, very strong. We're introduced to a young woman whose name is Cassie. She's out at a bar. She appears to be very drunk. There's a group of guys at the bar having a very obvious conversation about it's unfortunate we can't have our business meetings in strip clubs. And one of them goes to check on Cassie. She's pretending to be drunk. He takes her home. He obviously has a very nebulous sense of consent. And right when you think that something terrible is going to happen, Cassie reveals she is not drunk. She was faking it the entire time to teach the bad man a lesson. Cut to credits, you see her walking down the street, obviously the following morning, with what appears to be blood dripping down her leg. It's not, it's ketchup, it's from a hot dog. The opening of this film is brilliant. I can see why they used it for the trailer, but despite having a very polished, like hard candy aesthetic and some great performances, this movie's scripting gets increasingly convoluted and its universe and the points it's trying to make just fall apart the harder you look at them. Interesting that you said hard candy. Well, hard candy in the literal sense, not the Elliot Page film. Uh, well, they, they still have kind of a sleek aesthetic. That's what I'm yeah. thinking Yeah, this about. is just very, but, lots of bright pink and pastel blue. It's, you know, a rape revenge thriller as a Jordan Almond kind of a look to it. <laughs> okay. The, the set's... I think decidedly get more and more artifice uh, and when they go to the drugstore, it just says drugstore, but it's really, instead of designed in a generic sense, like uh repo man, right? It's where the label says beer on it and whatever other products are, they just say what the product macaroni, whatever it is, it's still generic. It says drugstore, but it's a highly designed visually candy coated <laughs> neon aesthetic, especially during their date. So it's a drugstore, and they're hanging out there like it's a place to hang out, like it's a blockbuster video from 2000 or you know? so. Yeah, aesthetically, it's a beautiful film. There's a lot of solid performances in it. But here's the thing. This movie got a lot of Oscar bait sort of buzz, uh, a lot of horror community. Please know that I'm air quoting that as hard as is humanly possible, <laughs> and I may have strained my eyes from rolling them into the back of my head. But a lot of horror community praise as being this smart, super feminist take on a revenge thriller. But it doesn't really ever allow any real vengeance to happen. Like Cassie's grand plan of going to these clubs and pretending to be drunk. It's revealed it's her way of avenging her best friend, who when they were both in medical school was assaulted by multiple people at a party. They don't specify, you never meet the best friend. Her name is Nina, but we don't see her on screen. We don't see what happened to her other than the audio that she killed herself as a result of that experience. And Cassie thinks that this kind of gotcha of the bad men is part of making that injustice right. And and so night after night, she's going to different bars. I don't know how she affords all of these elaborate going out clothes on like a barista's salary. She drops out of medical school and she's obsessed with this quest of each night, find a man, pretend to be drunk and kind of teach them a lesson about consent. Shaming them. Do you think that those lessons are actually good enough? Well, here's the you thing. Know? They're basically just lectures. And uh -huh. if we're going in a universe, because I mean... Part of this movie desperately wants to be like a taxi driver, female joker, God, that's overused. Excuse me while I find something shiny in which to go puke. But nonetheless, part of this movie desperately wants to be a story of obsession and misplaced vengeance and kind of this downward spiral for Cassie herself. And then the other part of this movie, probably the part that got it funded was, oh, it's also a rape revenge film. And generally mm -hmm. rape revenge films work on more of a fantasy logic. Mm -hmm. And throughout the whole film, it kind of artifice. bounces back and forth. So I point out the artifice thing because of the fantasy logic, how things get more and more as we go further into the story. You said fantasy logic. I don't think it does it through the violence or anything like that, but I think it does it through the sets, set design. Yeah, visually like it, yes. it tracks a bit better but yeah. her whole plan like she doesn't actually do anything to these men she basically just lectures them and mm -hmm. she's in like a mid-sized midwestern town they don't specify where now obviously in this universe there's a lot of really suspect um creepy men and i just have a hard time believing that she'd go into all of these men's apartments late at night night after night and they're obviously willing to sexually assault her but none of them have ever harmed her She's not even carrying a weapon. Right. So it's kind of convenient that her words are what make them so uncomfortable to stop what they're doing. Yeah. Which isn't that the fantasy, then? The fantasy that through the skull. Well, here is victory. the tricky bit. We kind of have to go through the story in order. 
And then the ending is what kind of reveals that the emperor has no clothes. Well, maybe that's maybe that's a point. I'm just throwing that out there right now. Maybe that's a point. I don't know. I don't know. Let's discuss. That's a neat little thing. That yeah, this that. movie is kind of full of a lot of gray areas. So maybe maybe that is like something that they wanted to say. Oh, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Sorry for interjecting. <laughs> it's exciting what you just said. Emperor yeah, um, has no clothes. This is a movie that it's actually very engaging through a lot of its runtime. And you're curious to see where it's going to go, how it's going to meld, like these kind of very modern, very meta. A lot of the men cast as abusers are like known as sitcom nice guys. Like there's a lot of like meta contextual stuff going on. It's an interesting idea to combine like the more modern face of you know me too and everything that's been going on in that regard with an exploitation thriller Mm -hmm. you mentioned that they're all uh, sitcom nice guys or tv nice guys right yeah Uh, the female cast is as well uh no the female cast is there is one moment that could have really been utilized for the meta aspect of it all that doesn't at all uh, i'm just meaning that they're they're cast by comedians and television mainstays who usually do light fare yes like people that have people have a lot of affection for like um yes, that's what i meant yeah cassie ends up getting into a relationship with someone who went to medical medical school with her back in the day who's played by bo burnham which of course everybody mm-hmm. is in love with him right now after his netflix yeah. special but yeah there is generally it's an affable cast of stock players who usually don't play dark characters at least as far as the men right. um, um, or characters that they're typically caught in justifying a bad thing happening usually they don't play things that are very complicated is what my point is yeah no and never I, this yeah. is you know oh you know he's always the nice guy the affable romantic lead you know very right. very safe sort of fair right you don't ever see jennifer coolidge or um Connie shannon or like you don't really see them in those types of roles they're usually just the bubbly ones right but as the film progresses things get darker as she visits each person she feels is culpable for the death of her friend mm-hmm. and it goes from the dean of the college they both attended who said it was too much of a he said she said situation despite there being video it's the friends right. who circulated that video and laughed at it it's the lawyer who helped you know they imply that the person responsible a classmate named Alan was like kind of like the jock top of their class sort of guy the lawyer who helped him get off scot-free mm-hmm. by basically smearing you know Nina's name as she was drunk she was asking for it she was a slut whatever what have you and things do escalate to a certain point but they never really reach catharsis because when through a complex mechanism of plotting it turns out that ryan bo burnham the guy she's been kind of seeing that almost makes her live a little was also involved in watching her friend's assault and was one of the people who kind of swept it under the rug she finally Mm -hmm. goes to the bachelor party of the main culprit disguised as a stripper and all right cool she's finally gonna get her revenge so wait let me ask you this she drugged everybody right at the bachelor party yes she drugged them in the vodka she gave them when they were doing bottle shots right 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 i I don't think maybe i I looked maybe the dog distracted me i don't know i don't think it was too explicit that she drugged them but i know that she gave them alcohol yeah there's like a slowed down like you know like chopped and screwed music on the soundtrack slowed down shot immediately after that i think it's more implied that she drugs them i think i picked up the implication i just wanted to be clear yeah for my sake honestly <laughs> so i was like that's not a lot of alcohol and make them all pass out but they're all out yeah at this point mm-hmm. and finally it looks like cassie might get something that's revenge and not like a tumblr comment section this is not lectures this is not you know i'm gonna make this point and walk away anymore like it looks like it finally is gonna hit that point where there's going to be something she goes takes Alan, the ringleader, upstairs, does the whole, I'm a party stripper, so I have to handcuff you to the bed for my safety. You're a nice guy, right? You'll let me. Mm-hmm. And introduces herself when he does, of course, the most annoying sex worker client thing on the planet and goes, well, what's your real name? <laughs> Stop doing yeah, that. Don't like, go to like strip clubs. Don't ask that of escorts, strippers, any sex worker. Mm-hmm. Don't ask that question. They just, oh, you deserve God. the kick in, you know, just for doing that. And she gives her name as Nina Fisher. And then he realizes she's not just a party stripper. She's Nina's best friend. And right Mm -hmm. as it looks like, because she's talking about, you know, all I ever wanted to be was a doctor. And I learned so many things from Nina. And I feel people that should remember her name and not your name. And she pulls Mm -hmm. out what looks to be perhaps a scalpel. And it looks like finally, all right, there will be blood. Something is going to happen here. (laughs) Beautiful. And instead... Alan manages to get one of his hands free and suffocates her to death, which we watch in real time, two and a half full minutes, and his annoying 
bro friend is like, oh my god, you killed the stripper at your bachelor party. I'll help you burn the body, bro. Which we also watched for a really uncomfortable long time. Mm -hmm. At this point, it's very questionable where this movie's heart lies. And then to take that coda of, oh, well, she knew that he might kill her, so she gave the video of the assault to the lawyer and, you know, scheduled winky face text, and the cops came and arrested the bad man at his own wedding. Mm -hmm. That is where this movie falls apart. And if you look back at it, you can kind of see why it does. Because the men in the film, most of them get off with warnings. The rapey guys, they get a lecture. She leaves. The lawyer says, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't sleep. And she says, I forgive you, and lets him cry in her lap. You know, the men of these films, they don't really get too much. Like, even Alan getting arrested in the end, like, he's rich. He's probably not going to see a lot of consequences. He's going to white-collar prison, for sure. Yeah, and probably not for very long. Yeah. So... I kind of, it didn't sit right with me. And I, then I started noticing, look at what happens to every female character in this film versus what happens to the men. Like Nina, she's a non-entity. We don't hear her story. We don't see what happened to her. She's basically negated, even though it's, she's the victim. It's her trauma. Gail, Cassie's boss at the coffee shop, doesn't have anything to do, any backstory at all, except to be the sassy sitcom BFF that tries to, you live, little blonde white girl, you go out there and live. And I mean, that kind of speaks, especially in a movie that's so willing to play with meta and meta expectations. The character's played by Laverne Cox. So that either, you know, it seems like a missed opportunity or a huge blind spot. Monique Jones and her piece on the film, she speaks to that particular aspect better than I could. But nonetheless, Nina is a non-entity. Gail is nothing more than a sassy BFF trope. At one point, Cassie visits Nina's mother. Nina's mother is like, you have to stop this. You're not helping any Anyone. You're not helping me. You're not helping Nina. Please stop. Cassie doesn't. Her friend Madison from college who disseminated the video, she lets her gets her drunk and lets her think that she was assaulted by a man in a hotel. The dean of the school, she kidnaps that 16-year-old daughter the dean has and then lets the dean think that, you know, again, the girl is being assaulted. That 16-year-old girl didn't do anything to anybody. So mm-hmm. is it okay to punish innocent women in the pursuit of bad men? Right. You know, that's, that's a really good question. That gets a little bit that and if you were gonna go like taxi driver downward spiral because there is one brief conversation where gail her boss says to her like don't you want like a house don't you want like a boyfriend don't you want a life a better job than this like crappy barista gig and she's like well i don't want any of that and it's like well it must be nice to be able to just live with your parents and do these weird like revenge lectures every night and like buy cute club clothes all the time and it not really affects you Mm -hmm. and cassie is so obsessed with making herself the main character and she's lost sight of what actually would be just. And that's fine. I would love to see a female character allowed to be villainous and messy and do bad things for what she thinks are noble reasons. But if you were going to do that and really make that critique of how systems fail women land, this movie should have ended when Cassie died. Mm. Because you can't take individual action and expect it to make a dent in a systemic problem. There's so many reasons why Nina didn't get justice for what happened to her. And Mm -hmm. one individual can't change those all. That's really really good point that I hadn't really thought about before especially like you know it really just seems like I'm not going to put words in your mouth but it seems as if your problem with this movie is the same kind of problem I have with like slacktivism versus activism and it seems like uh, what Cassie is doing is completely slacktivism you know just like doing the bare minimum of of what like you said you said Tumblr comments earlier like this is like an an allegory for people on the internet just talking their mouths off and not actually doing anything to make a change or like you know make a difference in the world and it it just literally ends up being nothing in the end. So what is it all for? Yeah, like there is the argument that could be made that she's lost sight of what it's for. It's about her at this point. She is so well, convinced she's the main character. A, the main character of the story, but the main character isn't her. It's not about her. It shouldn't be about her, but she made right. herself the main character, which is mm-hmm. uh, analogous to everybody on Twitter, like you said, Tumblr, having to have their soapbox and it's their voice that has to be heard. Nobody else's right. voice should be heard, but their mm-hmm. voice voice should be heard. But maybe the very end, they're trying to eat their cake and have it too. Yes. 
where you said it should have ended when she got choked out. Yes, done. Talk to Black, the end of the movie, wow, powerful. Instead, now it's this convoluted scheduling texts emoji thing, that, and then the police come, it's very convoluted, and it's played for certain laughs at certain points with the right, best no, it's running cute. off. Who cares? And it's kind of funny, and I laughed when he ran off because, haha, you're getting it, but you're also a f- funny comedian actor. So it looks funny, but that undercuts the most powerful part of the movie, which is what you said. If it ended right there, you got a movie. Yes. And now you have, what is it that you have now? You have a full-on fantasy that, that doesn't work. Because for that last little coda, this cutesy little, you know, ha-ha, you know, I get gotcha. the last laugh, gotcha moment to work, you have to see Cassie as an avenging angel. Right. And you have to see her as being in the right throughout the whole film, which blows the whole argument which some people have made of oh it's messy she's imperfect because you know it's it's a taxi driver kind of deal no at that point you're working on exploitation fantasy logic and if you're working on exploitation film fantasy logic the thrill and rape revenge films is that there is something so simple to heal that wound like if you just kill this person you just eliminate them from existence that will right the wrong and restore what is taken from you like that's part of the cathartic aspect of why you know people watch rape revenge thrillers so what we've got here is a movie that's punished every woman that's in it including Cassie because she's dead the men have gotten off with just another slap on the wrist and then you know a whole movie about how systems fail women but the cops save the day <laughs> like <laughs> that's what we're doing or seen mrs goodbar yes editor's note that is looking for mr goodbar from 1977 looking for mr goodbar i've seen that okay movie. you've seen it so you know how that movie and the book it's based on a true story of a promiscuous young school teacher who keeps on getting with so many different men and finally gets with the wrong man who murders her and the public perception perception of that was, well, it was her fault because she shouldn't have been so promiscuous. It's such a dark movie. It's a very feel-bad movie and story. And I think that this movie has something a little bit in common with that, but maybe not intentional. I don't know how much of anything in this movie was intentional. It's a little bit too in love with its own cleverness. Like, even naming the main character Cassandra. Well, like, oh, we took Greco-Roman mythology in sixth grade, too. Aren't you clever? (laughs) Cassandra, doomed to tell the truth and never be believed. You're so smart. Mm. And... It's aesthetic is very like early 2000s, very candy colored. And ironically, it shares a lot of the same points and a lot of the same problems with a feminist text that came out right about then. I think it came out in 2004, a book called Female Chauvinist Pigs by Ariel Levy, who used to write for The New Yorker. And both of them have the same weird blind spots about how feminism works for people who aren't necessarily overprivileged blonde white girls who can, you know, do whatever they'd like and not really worry about the consequences. And they both share the same kind of central idea that you know, a certain brand of feminism is kind of this corporate feminism. And I think Mm -hmm. Promising Young Woman takes that to its logical extension. LB, you and I were talking online, Mm -hmm. I think, about Anna Biller and how her films are a very flat read of second wave feminism. This is a very flat read of third wave feminism. Like, if you think third wave feminism is women doing all of the awful things that are traditionally, you know, ascribed to being the male domain, then okay, maybe, I guess it's feminism. There's like big, not like other girls, you know, I beat the patriarchy with this shiny glitter nail polish kind of energy here. Girl boss. Yeah, girl boss. Very performative. Very not aware of how, you know, I don't have a seat at the table. You are a lot closer to a seat than a whole lot of other people and that doesn't seem to matter to you because that's not, you know, toxic positivity. That's negative. If you worked hard enough, you could do it too. This is, Mm -hmm. yeah... If you think feminism is women doing things that are just as messy and awful as men with equal faculty for making an utter mess of things, then maybe. But otherwise, not so much. Yeah. What is it like uh, all of the CEOs of a, like the industrial, the war complex? The war machine. Yes. Yeah, they're all women. Like they're all, all them. girl bosses. Yeah. It's Yeah, more female drone pilots, please. <laughs> And I find it interesting. Um, the press kit for this film actually included the man- the nail polish so you could do Cassie's manicure, which kind of tells oh, you really? what sort of movie this is. Oh. <laughs> This is a movie that's cute cute. (laughs) that wants like feminist credibility really badly, Mm -hmm. but doesn't actually like women very much and doesn't really give them a chance to be. Oh, I don't think that currently the sister solidarity actually likes each other at all. From what I see online, Mm -hmm. it's all cynical and show. But 
everybody's caddy. LD, you were in uh, what a course that was very much like that, where all the girls were kind of caddy at each other. Well, always. Yeah, yeah, you know, I was in, um, you know, a feminist group in college and they were always bitching at each other. I'm like, why are you doing this? You're supposed to be uplifting women. (laughs) But anyway, but yeah, this movie is those girls to me. Uh Because nothing really happens to the men. The women get most of the consequences in the mm-hmm. film. And then the cops come to clean everything up. Like, ew, yeah. gross. Like, so I think the point that they were trying to make is that, well, I know that this is part of the point, at least as far as the behind the scenes interviews, is that they didn't want to have her resort to the gun-toting, knife-wielding violence, cutting off a wiener, you know what I mean? They wanted to be realistic. have it be more realistic than what a, like, what a, like, a weak woman can do. Right. I'm well, putting those words into their mouth, but that's the point that comes across because, you know, these are all like, men. Even Chris Mintz applause, come on, he's tiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they wanted to make it as if it was relatable to like the everyday woman so I, I i don't know and that's fine but if that was your whole goal then again the movie should have ended when cassie dies when cassie died because yeah. that coda is now reliant on exploitation trope and fantasy logic so if you cut that coda mm-hmm. however if you made that movie you wouldn't be able to market it as a cutely feminist revenge thriller and it probably right. wouldn't get as much attention because it would be a very dark very i think it would be a movie that would really be geared toward women because women know oh. how dark that reality is better than that disturb everybody with that ending just kill her leave her dead at the end cut to black credits roll with like some uplifting sounding song but it's it would be a horror in the true sense at that point so it's a really dark ending and people would be disturbed and upset by it Mm -hmm. there is another Adam Brody movie The Kid Detective where it doesn't end on a note where you would expect it to and it does something not dark like this but emotionally it goes to a point where the character just cries after his whole ordeal and adventure and whatever instead of being triumphant in the moment it's just he just weeps and it's a daring ending and it makes the movie a thousand times better than if it was just a i'm content so similarly cut to black disturb the audience yes be as transgressive as you think you are you're too in love with your own cleverness you're too in love with your own like i'm so clever for doing this this way when no not really there's kind of two different movies going on here and i don't feel like those two different movies ever meet towards the end of this movie i I get the same feeling I do when I'm watching a spy movie that's like really confusing with all the like twists and turns and like name the double, movie double crossings name like, it like okay okay Atomic Blonde <laughs> I get, I get <laughs> I really confused and like I'm not trying to say I'm dumb or anything because I'm not but like I just had a hard time understanding what was happening at the end of Promising Young Woman. And I think it's because it's trying to be something that it's not. And I think to your point, like a well done gotcha, you'll see mm-hmm. the signpost that you missed in retrospect. When someone yeah. is shoving a twist onto a movie just for the sake of having one to get it more attention, that twist will make all of the universe and plot logic fall apart. Yeah. And that's what happens here. Yeah, you're right. I liked how the movie looked though. It did yeah. look good. I am for sure. Seriously, for a first-time director, I think she was afforded uh, a very solid visual crew to get all of her visual aesthetic through, and I don't know to what degree she had hand in it, if she was just an actor-director. There are some people who are actor-directors, and they just do that, and then they get their team to do the visuals, and yes, that's good. Storyboarding, I didn't see anything behind the scenes like that, and I don't really want to. I am proud of what the product is as far as visually goes, because I was not expecting that. Very often I see, and this may be just me sounding like a jerk butthole man, but very often I see like uh, the HBO shows, TV series that they have going. When I see it's directed by a woman and it's an indie aesthetic, it's always this handheld, and to me it's very easy to do that and say it's really credible slightly shaky handheld stuff and it's a very cliche thing and I see it a lot LB I'm sure you've seen it a lot because you and I have talked about it but when a director does something that is you just see a lot of real strong visual effort and it's not the easiest way and it's not singular to female directors by the way it's a trope that started with men doing it 
<laughs> the shaky cam. Remember all of the, the NYPD blue stuff? Everything was freaking shaky, and that started with dudes. So it becomes this uh, shorthand for this is credible. Um. What's better is when you have dolly shots, when you have really strongly graphically designed images, to me anyway. This is my own preference. So there, maybe I put my foot in my mouth, but I hope I didn't because I don't really want to eat my foot. <laughs> um, to your point, I wonder how much of that, in addition to it being kind of like annoyingly trendy, is Emerald Fennell, who directed this movie, she's worked as a showrunner, she's worked as an actress, she she mm-hmm. has more resource than your average first-time director. So right. I wonder, especially a female first-time director, because they traditionally mm-hmm. don't get as much funding across the board. Right. So I wonder if the fact that this movie looks good is because she had a lot more to work with. I think that's exactly it. And I'm not going to disparage that either because good on her because that movie looks super. I I really appreciated it. I I felt that the movie had a beautiful aesthetic. Every performance in this movie is very good. She's clearly a good director of actors. The problem is all in the script. Script. The scripting and you can kind of see where her blind spots are. You can kind of see things she was trying that didn't necessarily work work like the fact that this managed to win the oscar for screenplay felt like i was being gaslit (laughs) i didn't even notice because i don't watch those oscar things but wow yeah okay do you think then let's get into a little bit of real world stuff do you think that's a bit of posturing on the oscars Yes, I I think this movie may have gotten overpraised to a certain degree Mm -hmm. because it was very topical, it was very timely, and the Oscars desperately needed to look like they weren't old white fossils. Yeah, 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 for sure. I can't stand They they had to give it something, so let's give it screenplay. Honestly, I think it should have gone to Carrie Mulligan for Best Actress. I think her performance was incredible. I think without her, this movie would have fallen apart at the seams. This this is really cool that that you're not exactly like, damn this movie, damn it to hell, like it's an ape or anything, but (laughs) that you do note the strong points, and and I appreciate that too. I I mean, fair is fair. Yeah, it's good. I'm talking about your perspective. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Get off of my show. <laughs> Sorry. You stop it. I will sick the film Twitter all stars on you. Um, oh, no. <laughs> and that's a fate worse than death. Um, yeah. <laughs> having to listen to some of the things that go on in that space for. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, sick them on us. Maybe they'll finally know who we are. Uh, oh, I, I think a lot of them know who we are. Yeah, oh. I, I agree. Okay, 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 okay. So as uh, we move along, we've got your point about this movie. We're pretty much in agreement with it. Uh, there's yeah. nothing too much to disagree about. I'm not necessarily, uh, well, I definitely am not you. So I don't have your mind about it, but you've made a very convincing point mm-hmm. and I was halfway there anyway. So you pushed me a little further and that's good. So I think yeah, we're going to move I, to- I, I like this movie, actually. I still like it. I like some of the, I, basically, I just like it because it does bring these questions up and like that's at least important to happen. You know, like uh, we can talk about the gray areas. We can talk about is there room for redemption in a rape revenge story? You know, like we can talk about these things. And I think that that is a cool thing to do, but definitely have taken a lot of your points and like, you know, things are clicking in my head that like hadn't before. So now I'm like, hmm, maybe this isn't so great. <laughs> so so I, I definitely appreciate your perspective on this because, you know, it, like I said, I, I was really impressed by this movie at first. And that's not to say that I'm, you know, I think it's a piece of crap now. (laughs) Honestly, I was impressed by it at first, too. I was rooting for it. I'm Tyra Banks screaming at Tiffany going, we were all rooting for you. Um, I'm not going to say that that's an unfair point because there were a lot of aspects of it. The performances are great. The aesthetic is very good. Uh There was the potential for in Mm -hmm. multiple directions a very interesting film, either a very transgressive dark film or a very clever, you know, exploitation thriller. There were there was definitely there. So I'm you know, that's fair. Yeah, okay. Potential. Promising young woman has potential. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> so as we move along to the second yeah. the alternate Andrew. What? You're forgetting something. No, I'm not forgetting anything. You're not? Because as I say every episode. <laughs> it's a bit this is the fun part of the show, where I get to Oh, what? The fun part of the show? You just insulted the first part of the show. Well, no. Oh, Andrew. What? I didn't you know, forget. You didn't forget? Okay. No. You know, Gigi, um, this is really interesting that you brought 
this movie to us because I was, uh, you know, at my parents' house recently and I found like this old notebook that I had from high school. It's like full of this poetry that I wrote in high school. And um, you know how it is with bad high school poetry or whatever. I was going through it and I was like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. But you know what? I found a poem that was written in like, I don't know, what, 99, 98? It just happens to be about promising a woman. Can you believe it? That's weird. That is, that is incredible. You should I, pick lottery numbers for me next time. <laughs> I will. I will. It's all eights. Just okay. choose all eights. Got it. Okay. But yeah, okay. Do you, you guys, you guys want to hear this poem? Yes. Do it. Okay. Do it, Soothsayer. Okay. I haven't read this out loud, so like, I don't know really how to perform it, but Promising Young Woman. I am a girl with rage. In all the worlds, my stage, promising to be performing. Y'all better take warning, because I'm going to stick it to you in the morning. I'm a candy-striped nurse. you never seen nothing worse than this nightmare that I've become. Hit me with your best shot. I ain't no ordinary thought. Wow, I coined the term thought in 1998. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Because it's chicks before dicks all day long. And that's how we stay strong, you know. Never thought our lives would go so wrong, you know. And now revenge is my sweetest song, you know. You didn't think this was the end, did you? Hey, that's like the end of the movie. (laughs) More or less. I actually wrote Promising Young Woman in 1998. I deserve an Oscar. And a residual check. The important bit. For best original poem. (sighs) Glad that's over. So, Gigi. Yes. What do you think of that there poem? It happened. It happened. Like, we all have poetry that we wrote in high school. (laughs) Okay, that's very gracious. (laughs) You weren't impressed or anything? I'm kind of professionally not impressed by anything. (laughs) That's why you're on the Grimpire Show. (laughs) Permanently Uh, discontented. (laughs) So, your alternate to Promising Young Woman is... Coralie Fajar's Revenge from 2017. Stan Dimitri, my associates. Hi. Hi. Let me just say straight up off the bat, I really like this movie. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the visuals so that I can get this out of the way. Do you know what Do Look is? Cinema Do Look? A little bit. I'm not going to say that I'm an expert on the subject, but go ahead. There's three primary directors. uh, Leos Carax, Bienix, I think. I forget that. They they did um, Betty Blue and Luke Besson. And there are other tangential directors that came out of their work too and I think it actually merged also with Hollywood at certain points like I think Michael Bay might be part of Do Look it came out of this visual aesthetic from commercials pretty much now at the same time you had Ridley Scott doing his thing and he came out of commercials but he was doing something in a very more gritty kind of atmosphere kind of way than what these other guys were doing which was very I guess candy coated very brightly lit very saturated colors very neon on at certain points stuff like this and i do think that revenge is a cinema du look styled film looks like it came out of all of the history of that kind of filmmaking and just is another one and it's possibly my favorite visual style of film possibly that's what i'm gonna say so you were you were already kind of pre-primed to like this one from second one is what you're saying um well i I think the promising young woman also has notes of cinema du look because of the very commercial aspect of it like it's very sleek very the neon and candy color stuff but when i first saw this movie it just struck me how visually amazing it was how I'm an illustrator. I like visuals. I have eyeballs. I like to see stuff. And so my taste in that, also having, uh, as you heard earlier, been raised a bit in Europe and tandem with 
the do look stuff coming up and I didn't even know about it as a kid. I'm discovering it in the early 90s when I was a, a teenager. It, it really appealed to me. Like this is the stuff that was around me on TV while I was in Europe as far as commercials go. Now it's in movies and it's comforting it's interesting it's it's art you know if it's an action movie it's not just uh lock the camera down move it a little bit it's not the junky kind of 80s action movies like a like a chuck norris movie or a steven seagal movie so it doesn't have that bland kind of aesthetic it has lights all over when it's in the dark when they're shooting at night the streets are flooded with light so there's texture everywhere but not fully flooded it's like a light that would never be there but it's on the ground somewhere off camera so now you have light pouring in anyway it's i'm getting way too much into the visuals <laughs> but if you've seen the beginning of la femme nikita where they they robbed the place and they she's being dragged by her own people away from the place that they robbed there's cobblestones the cobblestones are lit and the camera's pulling back with them as they're walking you have this really cool movement and there's so many movies that are informed by this style that are not technically cinema to look but this one really feels like it. that's all I love there you have, and there you have it and there you have it <laughs> the report right. on the visuals there you go <laughs> i'm done i just needed to get that all out before you get into your thing because yeah, it's your show okay so revenge this is also directed by a woman it has a similar color palette a bit more saturated but we're still working with a very femme aesthetic lots of you know hot pink and bright blue and you know kind of, again that same not quite we're going from jordan almond to like gummy bears now that yeah. same kind of bright color that's, that's a good thing this unlike promising young woman is a straightforward exploitation rape revenge thriller it Boy. doesn't complicate that formula necessarily in its plot which is relatively simple but the choices that are made along the way make this very clearly read as a female gaze or feminist film without having to beat us over the head of like hey every man in this film is bad and without the heavy-handed we can't even go to strip clubs kind of dialogue the ways that it expresses that are much more subtle and to my head a lot more effective okay for anyone who hasn't seen it there's a young woman named jen she has a married boyfriend who is very wealthy looks like a gq model his name is richard he takes her on a helicopter to his gorgeous house somewhere in the desert. They don't specify where it is. It's just obviously a very remote place for, you know, things that people typically do when they're having an affair. And he has two friends, associates, not quite sure what the relationship is, but they show up unannounced for a hunting trip that he was planning on taking with them after Jen had left. And it's very clear from Jump that the two friends, one is named Stan, the other is Dimitri, they have eyes for Jen in a very, very creepy, almost cartoonishly levacious kind of way. Particularly They're, the one guy. Yeah. 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 Oh boy. So it's late at night, they're having a party, Jen decides to dance with one of them for a minute. He takes this as an invitation the following morning and assaults Jen. Richard, rather than feel bad about it, is like, hey, um, I know you wanted to go to LA, but here's some money and a job in Canada. Can you maybe just pretend all of this never happened? Because that'd be great. Mm -hmm. And when she refuses the offer, they end up tossing her off a cliff, which starts the actual events of the film because she, this is completely cartoonish. It would never actually happen. She lands skewered on a tree branch, but manages to survive the fall. And she is going to survive and she is going to get back mm -hmm. at these men. So very yeah. simple plot. There's not a whole lot there. It's hitting the beats you expect it to hit. But what makes this film interesting is even when in the beginning of the film, the camera is panning up the actress's name is Matilda Lutz, I believe, panning up Jen's body. And you can see like her underwear and her t-shirt in a way that kind of really emphasizes her butt. But they're only doing that because she's like dancing alone in her underwear about to get some breakfast. She doesn't even realize anybody else is in the house but her. The camera isn't leering at her because, you know, surprise, there's a man there. The camera is just kind of documenting that she's having a little moment to flaunt it. She's young. She's cute. She's in this gorgeous modern house. She's about to get some orange juice. Life is okay at that moment. And I think that's smart because you don't really see that gaze again at any other point in the movie. In fact, after the assault, which in another deviation from standard grindhouse formats is off screen, it isn't played for titillation. It isn't played for shock value. You see before and after. You don't actually see 
when one of the men assaults her. And the reason why he does is the reason that probably every woman on the planet has been harassed in some fashion. Like, well, oh, if you didn't want to give me your number and you didn't want to date me, why did you dance with me? If you didn't want me to talk to you, why were you wearing that? If Mm -hmm. you didn't want to come home with me, why did you drink so much? You know, it's very much makes the male entitlement amongst Richard, Stan, and Dimitri very clear without necessarily beating you over the head with like, oh, she's just a whore because she's a mistress or anything like super heavy handed like that. Which, you know, if you just sat through Promising Young Woman, you've been through enough of that already today. (laughs) (laughs) And those small deviations slowly start to add up particularly when we get into the survival mode of the film where she manages to light the branch she's impaled on on fire to make it fall down and take some peyote that someone had given her earlier in the film to cauterize the wound with a beer can with a phoenix on it. Like, from everything that happens then on... symbolism is hilariously on the nose. (laughs) It is absolutely... hilariously on the nose. And and it's not reversed... Everything is perfectly as it it would display reversed if you had actually put it down. But, you know, again, this is fantasy logic. It's not afraid of it. But it's obviously having fun and having a poke at the way these films would typically be shot. Like, from the assault forward, pretty much the entire film is from her perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't immediately make her into this magical badass. Like, yes, there are some magical realism things that happen in terms of her surviving and how she does. But you can see when she gets hold of a gun, at first her hands shake. She's not sure. You know, it's only after the blood starts flowing and she catches, you know, the first of the trio, does she really start to kind of grow into this like almost, you know, high femme Rambo sort of character that isn't afraid of anything. And that's awesome. Wait, (laughs) I did. That's a revelation just now. The first movie Rambo, a primer for our audience. First movie Rambo, he's just a guy coming back from Vietnam and he's downtrodden and he's beat down by the local cops and he decides he ain't going to have it. He's been abused by them too much and he fights back. He goes on the run and they come after him with helicopters. Only one dude dies in the entire movie. It's not the sequels where he's mowing down everybody. And he has to survive. He cuts himself and sews himself up. This She is... Literally, without the cops coming after her, female Rambo. Holy crap. <laughs> I really appreciate that, by the way. I'm glad. I'm glad. That. Sometimes sometimes I even sound smart. It depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that first Rambo movie for the audience who hasn't seen it, who hasn't seen it, but if that first blood movie is not played for machismo bravado or anything, yeah. it is a serious, solid, dramatic film. Carry on. <laughs> of course. Yeah, her goal, I think if it came down to it, if she could get away from these men any other way, she's not really concerned with vengeance as much as survival. She knows they yes. have hunting rifles. She knows they're willing to kill her. There is no other choice at this stage. And yeah. to actually give her a character arc and not play her both for like sleazy, you know, for like kind of the raincoat crowd and mm-hmm. like as this instant just add water, you know, anti-hero. That's very unusual, especially for this subgenre of film. And I think it's kind of very indicative of this is a film lensed by a woman. It is literally shot in the female gaze in every single second. I mean, you do actually get to look at the beefy GQ model boyfriend in his full nakedness. You don't get to see her fully naked either. You do get to see him swinging free as well. Um, so it is female gaze, like you said. Yeah. I have a, I have a question real quick. And sure. Have you seen The Rocketeer? Yes. Okay. There's a scene in The Rocketeer in which Jennifer Connelly, as the sex pot, who is very toned down for the Disney movie, is introduced to some mafioso guy. And the mafioso guy, it's a one shot of both of them standing and looking at each other. And he obviously tilts his head down and looks at her cleavage. And then the director decides this would be a good time to insert the man's point of view, looking down at her boobs straight on. In a PG movie, I've always hated this scene. It's not posturing. This was always me saying, like, I have no choice but to look at her cleavage in the way that he did. I have no choice. I'm complicit in a very, uh, we're going to use Judeo-Christian terms, sinful way. They're making me him, and I'm not him. 
Now, in this movie, they don't do that. As you said, it's it's just her bopping around having fun, and it's mm-hmm. shot by a lady, and that's neat. So when they're leering at her, they're not showing what is being leered at, right. you know, element-wise. Yeah, it's more their neat. faces, and yeah, they're it's, obvious. It's showing like, their faces, it's showing a far shot of her, how she's dressed, but it's not showing now a close-up of her boobs or her butt or her pelvis. Mm-hmm. Right? So, And I appreciate that, too, a lot. As a male viewer, I don't feel like I'm pushed into something, you know? Unlike Rocketeer. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it's, it probably makes it extra disconcerting being that that's like a PG film. Like, yeah, why? that's my point. Why as here? A, as a young teen watching that, I was like, why? Why am I being forced to And when a teenage boy realizes that something is, you know... <laughs> a bit off in a scene like that yes, how far have you gone you must understand I'm, I'm also a very strange person <laughs> in that I, I never really worked the same way hormonally as all the other teen boys who are always trying to grind one out at every turn I was like I don't have to I was around naked statues in Europe the whole time I know what a naked body looks like what you know not a brag either. I'm weird. <laughs> I don't know if lacking American-raised puritanism makes you weird or just lucky. <laughs> hey, hey, no. That was happenstance because my parents are Puritan. Puritanical. That was just so, okay, was pure just... dumb luck. Just take it. Roll with it. Sometimes <laughs> right, that's right, what right, you've right. got. Take it's the win. Weird. Take I mean, the win in that column. and. Okay, I'll take the win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I say I was going to stop giving you hassle? I did, didn't I? I lied. <laughs> I give everyone hassle. That's kind of what I do. Everybody hassles Andrew, though. It's okay. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Yeah, it's not it's specific. True. I do it to everyone. All right. Well, <laughs> I don't feel special there. But to speak <laughs> to your point, your actual point, the only place where you get kind of a leering gaze, and it's hilarious when it happens, it's basically the final showdown. You know, the only one who's left is Richard. The whole gorgeous modern house looks like a slip and slide or like a water park because there's just blood yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And the one time there's like a leering gaze is he slips in his own blood he's covered in it and it's like almost like a playgirl magazine pose and he's the one with the parted lips and the like you know arched back in that fall is the one time they kind of use the you know how do you like this objectifying gaze dudes yeah is when he's absolutely coated in his own blood and that's amazing to me like if nothing else happened in this movie just for that one screenshot i would love it (laughs) totally like a middle finger to everybody yes just absolutely I, I love malicious compliance like beautiful do it but it is far more effective at kind of giving that classic catharsis without relying on some of the sleazier classic exploitation tactics so if you're looking for that in your rape revenge film i would definitely say that this is probably a stronger watch than promising young woman in terms of getting that satisfaction of seeing a woman have a character arc and get her vengeance and survive in a more substantive way. If the part of Promising Young Woman you liked was maybe the meditation on trauma and how that affects people, then I would probably recommend Madeline Sims Fewer's Violation, which is kind of more of an art housey. It has almost like a um, melancholia kind of aesthetic. If you've seen that film, like, okay. you, which you is, said, you were about to say Lars von Trier. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, because uh, I feel like saying his name is like yelling Beetlejuice three times. <laughs> it brings out the film bros to like, tell me about things that I've wrote and explain them to me and like explain what I meant. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So don't say it two more times. Yeah. We said it once. It has, you know, some kind of, it's a beautifully Madeline Sims viewer wrote the movie. She directed the movie. She also stars in it. And it's, a rape revenge movie that isn't focused on the vengeance but on the toll that vengeance takes and the fact that trying to restore what was taken from you by destroying something else is never going to work okay Um, that's good too yeah it's a very beautiful film it's also well shot there's some excellent like the actual assault is shown in like close-ups of fingertips or napes of necks and the way oh, that wow. people tend to disassociate and like fixate on minor details when they're going through something traumatic. And I feel like that's a valid way to handle that. Okay. And yeah. the people in this film, the main character's name is Miriam. She's married to a man named Caleb. Their marriage is clearly on the rocks. 
She's going to visit her younger sister, Greta. They've been estranged for a very long time, but she gets along very well with Greta's husband. They're like childhood friends is the implication. And so Miriam finds herself confiding in Dylan. You know, Greta kind of isn't too keen on either of them at that point. And unfortunately, Miriam, because she's lonely and she's hurting and she doesn't know how to deal with what's going on in her own life, kisses Dylan, which he uses as an excuse to unfortunately assault her in her sleep. And the film kind of fractures out the outward from there and tells everything in a disjointed manner from the assault itself to what Miriam decides to do about it. And it shows her spiraling kind of completely out of control. And when she finally gets what she thought she wanted, which is shown in very graphic detail, she finally gets to kill this man in a very bloody, visceral, brutal way. And the first thing she does is throw up. Mm, okay. And yeah, it kind of spirals outward from there. And so if you were looking for something that's more a meditation on mm-hmm. how vengeance can be hollow yeah. or you know how trauma can't necessarily be fixed by vengeance, mm-hmm. it's only a temporary catharsis. It doesn't necessarily heal what's already been done. Then mm-hmm. I would say that's the film for you. But if you just want to see an awful man get his just desserts in a very very bloody fashion in a way that is clever without being in love with its own cleverness, then absolutely watch Revenge. Yeah. <laughs> so that sounded like a Saulnier type of approach to something. Jeremy Saulnier, you know, he did Green Room and Blue Ruin. I don't know if you've seen Blue Ruin. It is about a guy who can't really do much in life. He's a schlub, but he is a, trying to exact revenge. And finally, when he does it, it's, it's not the fantasy sort of retribution that he wants it goes the opposite way type of thing. So that makes sense. That, that sounds similar in theme, but of course, as a rape revenge film. So where did you see that? You can see both Revenge and Violation on Shutter right now. I believe they're both still on that service. Um, they're also commonly available video on demand on several of the other platforms. Yeah, we have the Blu-ray Revenge. I got the Blu-ray of Revenge like, right when it came out. I love the movie. I think it's great. Now, um, I am a sensitive male who doesn't like to be vilified just as a man in general. I don't like to see, because he's a man, he's bad. I don't like to see that. But when bad men are actually bad, <laughs> I'm kind of all right with dropping drop it off at the pool. Have fun, brain. Watch this complete bore of a man get eviscerated by this chick. I'm cool with it because I understand in the, the morality of the movie itself that it's all right, the revenge in, in that sense. Uh, personally, I'm not one for actually getting revenge of my enemies if I have enemies. I don't care. I don't just live your life, leave me alone type of thing. But somewhat cathartic watching this type of movie and seeing these boars, they're boars, including the boyfriend who is... You're saying boar like pig, not boars. Yeah, like boar. you're boring. Yeah, okay. I mean, they are also boring. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. They're, they're banal archetypes of these types of guys. But yes, and that's the point. I'm even saying pigs. But I like to say boar. Why? Because it's a larger pig? Like, it's uh, even... Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Pig is just also easy. You're a big dog, you know, anyway. But yeah, I, I mean, it didn't hurt me to watch it because I get it. Yes, absolutely. She did, There's no deserving that she did. And I was questioning this at first. When she gets back to the house, she could have called the cops. The cops come. She could have done various other ways to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then she could have. Yeah, not really. No, because yeah. those guys were already out to get her. So yeah. it is all the way about survival. Because I was trying to parse this the second time, trying to think about it as I was watching it. And really, any conclusion that I got to is that she literally had to do everything that she was doing in order for her own survival. Yes, because there wasn't an escape. You need a helicopter to get out of there. Even right. if she called the police or called a forest ranger or whatever authority figure there is in the middle of the high desert, wherever they are, how long is it going to take them to get there? And how likely mm-hmm. are they to believe her versus, right. you know, this obviously super wealthy man? Mm-hmm. And you can pull they, so many strings. Yeah. And those guys if she hadn't taken them out, would have already been back at that house and she couldn't have been able to call anybody and they would have been out for her and, and all that stuff. So yes, I get it. And it, it makes sense as far as that it's goes. It's necessary for her yeah. to do all of this gruesome stuff. It totally is necessary. Yeah, I don't feel like she's necessarily relishing in it. 
I, I no. think she'd rather just go home. Like yeah. if she could, Absolutely. she would rather just yeah, go yeah. home, but she doesn't have any other choice. And it's kind of amazing to see her go from like more reluctant and more afraid mm-hmm. to no, not today. If anybody's coming right. out of here in a body bag, it's going to be the three of you. Yeah. Yeah. The For sure. transformation is also visually interesting with her because she's bottle blonde and then by the end of it she's brunette but it, it's but all it's blood by her it's yeah it's blood, blood and dirt, and dirt sweat and, and yeah yeah and it's just it actually seems to have dyed her hair i think it's a really cool visual transformation thing along with the phoenix motif on her belly <laughs> so the fact that they remembered that they had the peyote in the first yeah. act and to bring it back yeah. out because that's the sort of thing that like a classic, you know, like a traditional exploitation film would have left to dangle in the breeze. So the fact yeah. that they remembered to use it for something pleased me very much. Yeah. Yeah. I was really happy about that too. So are you finished praising this movie or not? <laughs> you want to talk? About it's amazing. It? Everyone should watch it. Like you were, before we went on air, you were asking me about my favorite kind of Neo Grindhouse movies. This is one of them. This is kind of taking the aesthetic and the process okay. of Grindhouse films to make something fresh and interesting while still respecting mm-hmm. those tropes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it is a really great example of that because it seems like modern Grindhouse is just trying to emulate something that they usually end up failing in doing so because they're trying too hard. And this movie is just like, it has this goal and everything is just so well executed and they're not, it's it's like they're not trying to, to make an aesthetic. They, it just has an aesthetic, you know? I mean, I can... they, there's these certain elements of this movie in which they just don't even care if it makes sense or not. And right. I love it for that. Like she's skewered and nobody could survive. It seems nobody could survive a fall. Let's say it's 60 feet up and she lands on a tree and she's skewered by it and she's just dripping and pouring blood. She'll be dead. But in this movie, she's not. And she's walking around with this thing stuck through her. And then she cauterizes herself after pulling it out. And then, and then, and the foot gash. And then he's like pressing on the gas. And it's only a minor inconvenience, even though it's really gross because of blood spurting out of the foot. All these things is like, oh, come on. Oh, come on. But it's like, also, who cares? Just have fun with this horrible, violent film, well, even though it's That's kind violent. of what makes it work as a neo-Grindhouse movie, because a yeah. lot of the people who do neo-Grindhouse films, what they're mimicking is the aesthetic. They're forgetting mm-hmm. that these films were meant to show you everything that you weren't supposed to see. They were trying to go as far mm-hmm. over the top as possible all of the time. And mm-hmm. by kind of throwing that logic out the window and being like, yeah, what the hell? She can cauterize her own wounds. She can survive this mm-hmm. fall. She's basically an avatar at this point. That's kind mm-hmm. of what makes it such a fun, like fast. You wouldn't expect to say that about a movie that's this bloody. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, a really great, so that's a, a really great point. You just said the older Grindhouse movies are, they made a point of showing you things that you aren't supposed to see. It comes out of that time period where, you know, everything is, you know, nuclear family, hunky dory, Pleasantville, like all that stuff. And then, you know, the, the Grindhouse era, just maybe, you know, a decade after that, like, is like a rude awakening for all those people what we have now like through the decades you know everybody lived through the 90s or whatever and like now feels like films can go all these places that they aren't so taboo but what I'm trying to get at is we can have these movies now because it seems like we're also kind of going into a period of Puritan regression we're entering into this era where sex and violence are frowned upon in cinema so I'm I'm thinking this might be a sort of um, calm before the storm of maybe we're going to get some really amazing grindhouse type features coming up in the near future as a response to everyone saying sex doesn't belong in movies and movies are too violent and you know uh, you know Netflix saying they're smoking in this you better not watch it you know like all these things that are kind of just in the zeitgeist right now we're going to have a big storm of just cool stuff there's a theory presented a few years ago like 10 or so years ago that said during what was it during a democratic presidency in America the movies are very very much tamed and boring but once the republicans are like like a republican presidency the movies start to ramp up and become tr- crazier and more transgressive and stranger. Because they're bound uh, to yeah, trying to buck against what the, the, the administration culture is. 
So right now, I think we're in a team. And this movie came out in 2017. So I'm just thinking about that theory. So anyway, it's a theory. I don't know if it's been proven. I mean, anecdotally, because I kind of, you know, from the 30s roadshow era, honestly, you could go all the way back to silent film if you were really being, you know, thorough about it. But from 30s roadshows, and then like the 40s and 50s, you start to have the more grindhouse-y. I feel like classic grindhouse really is more like 65 to 85. But yeah. if you watch kind of these outsider films, they're always reactionary to whatever's going on around them. I usually use youth scare films as the barometer for this, because that's one of the longest lasting subgenres, like the Thou Shalt Not. And it goes yeah. from like, you know, flappers and jazz to hot rods and tight sweaters and hippies at one point. Everything is hippies are going to kill you. I drink your blood. Yeah. Um, hippie, yeah. zombie, hippie hangover movie. Um, transgressive and like grindhousey type cinema tends to directly react to what's going on. And I think I'm starting to see like more small scale filmmaking, you know, people making movies with $10,000 that are basically grindhouse films. And there was a film that was running the festival circuit like a year ago called Killer Queen that was actually shot in Super 8. I think because right now we're having like a resurgence of xenophobia kind of. We're all like, you know, there's a lot of Puritan, like not just Puritan, but also kind of afraid of the world and afraid of expansion. Mm -hmm. Like we had a little mini satanic panic over a little Nas X video and some sneakers. Like we're getting to that point. I think you are correct that we're going to start seeing the multiplexes are going to show fewer films and there's going to be a another resurgence of like this outsider cinema especially with the major platforms starting to ban sexual content like I think we're going to see a lot more outsider queer cinema we're going to see a lot more transgressive cinema and I mean Mm -hmm. to a certain degree I hope that happens because I feel like there's a whole generation that doesn't understand the value in violating certain thou shalt nots in terms of taste or culture right they don't get the value of bucking against the status quo instead of just going along with it Yeah, that assimilationism isn't going to save you depending on who you are. Like, I'm a queer woman, and no matter what I do to try and, like, look like a straight person, that's not going to save me from, you know, certain homophobic situations. You know, you can assimilate as much as you'd like, but that's not going to erase the underlying prejudice that causes the need for that assimilation. Right. So what do you think of Star Trek? It's it's a dumb joke. You said assimilation. (laughs) The board, yes. don't, Don't answer the question. Don't. Do it. Honestly, I would just go full Mariah Carey and go, I don't know her. Um. (laughs) Good. So uh, I really appreciate you bringing these two movies up. They're both visually, like I said, about the do look thing. I think they both are informed by that, even if they never thought that they were themselves. I like looking at both of them, but I really absolutely love your points. You're very poignant. Yes. Yeah. Thank I really, you. I really appreciate it too. This is the kind of discussions that we like to have, like where um, our our own standing opinions get challenged by other people's insights, and uh, it's it's just fantastic. So thank you for bringing these two movies. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me and being willing to discuss them with me and letting me kind of ramble into various like Grindhouse Cinema asides because I can't (laughs) help that. It's a thing. It happens. It was absolutely amazing. So thank you so much. Yes. Any time. Yes. I very rarely dislike something enough to kind of do that deep dive of like, this is why I can't stand this movie. But if I come up with another one, I'll let you know. Very well. Good. I really liked this episode. I feel like it was very well balanced between being smart and funny and entertaining. And I actually learned a lot or or really like it it challenged some of my perspectives on on the first film on Promising Young Woman. So I am very happy that we got to talk to Gigi about that film in particular. Yeah, me too. Yeah, there was some cool insight going on. More so on that one because I was already on board on Revenge (laughs) and I was somewhat (laughs) teetering between yes and no on promising but there's plenty promising with promising that i do Mm -hmm. like about it but i think i kind of i side with her on on her conclusion i think it's a bit toothless so yeah yeah but i mean i've liked worse movies so (laughs) true so uh, so where can we find good old giggles uh well 
definitely follow her on Twitter. Her at is Ms. Midnight Movie. That's MS, like MS Magazine. Ms. Midnight Movie. You can go to her website. It's MidnightMovieMonster.com. She is a contributor to a horror zine, like an actual zine, like a piece of booklet bound together paper. A, z- a zine. A physical zine. Yes. When's the last time you saw a physical zine? I mean, they exist all over the place. Oh, yeah, I know. But you can get it on Etsy. This one in particular is called Drive-In Asylum Zine. Also, WickedHorror.com, Wicked Horror. Wicked Horror. Terrible, terrible at accents, but that's a horror news website, mostly. Uh, but, wicked uh, Horror. Yeah, Wicked. It has nothing to do with weaving baskets in the nude. No, in the okay. nude. Yeah, w- Wicked Horror. Mm-hmm. For money. <laughs> Okay. And of course, go to grumpire.com. You can see all of our cool articles and artworks and essays and recommendations and Spotify playlists and all that stuff. And of course, follow us on Twitter, Grumpire Online. The same handle is for Instagram, so do do them both. Okay? All right. At Grumpire Online. Okie dokie. Good night. Okay, thank you. Bye. Good night. Ciao.